you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the biggest question right now for your money. Was Snowflake's incredible IPO the biggest danger sign yet for stocks? We'll debate that with our investment committee today. And joining me for the hour are Josh Brown, Pete Nigerian, Jenny Harrington, who's the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management, and Michael Farr, the president of Farr, Miller & Washington. Good to see everybody. Good to have you with us, too. Let's begin by taking a look at where we are with stocks. A sell-off today. NASDAQ back Back in correction territory, you can see it there down 183 and a half. That's a one and two thirds percent loss. Snowflake worth keeping an eye on, too. After yesterday, that stock today is down 8 percent. That meteoric rise yesterday. Josh Brown, have we reached the point because of Snowflake of stop the insanity or is, is everything just fine and good? I think it's very important that um, we don't try to constantly draw market-wide inferences from what happens with Silicon Valley-based startups. Let's not be goldfish. Um, we, we've, we've been here before. Uh, around the time of the Facebook IPO in 2012, there were people saying the valuation was so big and the market cap requirement was so large that all other tech stocks had to be sold and Facebook put a top into uh, the tech rally. We're eight years later. Facebook came public at a $40 billion valuation and went to $500 billion without a problem. So um, look, we, we did this in 2019 when Uber and Lyft came public. Oh, this is the top for tech. They're too big. There's too much frothiness. In, in February 2015, Judge, we were on a TV segment the week that Fortune put out the unicorn cover, which is now infamous. And on the cover, they said 80 Silicon Valley startups are now worth a billion dollars or more. And it was shocking at the time. If that magazine cover came out today, people would say, no, nah, I, get, I get it. That makes sense. Many of the companies listed have since gone public and they're worth tens of billions of dollars. Um, so if, if you had taken, let's just use February 2015 as an example. If you looked at that unicorn cover indicator and you said, that's it, that's the top attack, too much froth. Well, the NASDAQ was 4,400 that week and it went to 12,000. So you sat out 185% rally uh, in the queues by making that decision that you were going to take um, a handful of speculative uber high valuation companies and use that as your justification to reposition your portfolio. So I, I'm not a fan of it. Doesn't really work. It makes for better TV than it does for portfolio uh, management. I don't know. I mean, you don't, um, you that's don't, not you don't to say. A, you don't take a step back and say, you know, it's 100 times sales. Uh, this thing has, a, you know, an incredible first day. And you don't take a it's pause not, relative even, to where it's we not are even in the, the S- whole landscape and say, I don't think this is I don't think this is good. We've seen a million examples of this, though. It's not even it's not even in the S&P 500. Investors don't own this in their 401k. It is not an, an important stock. It's a great stock to yeah, watch. It's, not we're not it's a lot ta- of fun. I know, but we're it not has talking no about bearing. You're, you're missing my point. 
You, you, I think you're missing my point. This is not about okay. the stock itself. This is not about the company itself. I get it. It's about sentiment. It's about the broader it. picture of, of where I, we I are. Right? So let's address, it in, so now, let's now, address it in those in those terms. Okay, so now the stock is getting crowbarred. And uh, does that change how investors necessarily feel about other stocks that they own? Well, I don't, I don't know. So. Nvidia, okay, Kramer makes the point. Okay, Okta. Jenny, Okta goes from 230 to 185. This is Kramer pointing this out today on Twitter. I thought it was interesting, so I wanted to mention it too. In terms of where things may go from here, with some of these stocks that have had incredible runs. Okta, 230 to 185. We have this tweet that he had on NVIDIA as well and Zoom. And it, it underscores, if you will, I think, very well, Jenny, the landscape and what may be a pullback in some of these loved names, especially over the last few months. So, so for what it's worth, I don't even know what Okta does. Um, but I think that is indicative, too. What I've spent the last two days doing is toggling between the Goldman Communicopia Conference and the, and the Deutsche Bank Tech Conference. And it's been really striking to be at those two. And this is, I think, exactly where you're going with this, Scott, which is at the Communicopia Conference, I'm listening to companies like Verizon and AT&T and CenturyLink and they're trading at tiny valuations and minting cash flow. Guess what's up on my screen today? CenturyLink is up, Verizon is up, those kinds of companies are up. And then I'm toggling between some of those and companies like you know, Spotify who they don't, you know, revenue growth or rather earnings growth is not even in the cards and they're not worried about how much they make. And that matters. But I don't think it's just this snowflake thing. I don't think it's just Octa's trading, but I do think that the party lasted a little too long and valuations expanded a little too much, okay. and things got too crazy, and now we're just seeing a reconciliation of so, that, which is healthy. Let me, it's let great. Me, let me play off of that um, in terms of the party lasting mm -hmm. too, too long. Pete, let, let's, let's take a look at whether um, a DocuSign stayed at the party too long, had too many drinks, the stock's up 158% mm -hmm. uh, year-to-date. That list is long and distinguished with, you know, Teladoc. It was at the party a long time. It's up 130%, as is Square. CrowdStrike, Josh Brown, a name that you bought not that long ago, is up 154. Peloton, almost 200%. Zoom, 485%. So, Pete, you know, you tell me when you look at those runs and you look at what Snowflake delivered yesterday, yes, it was a euphoric thing for the folks that are attached to that company, but it does raise some sort of signal somewhere of how far we've come in some of these names. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, Scott. I, I would agree with you. And I'd also say this. I would say that the names that we're talking about here, CrowdStrike and go through Okta, all these various names that have absolutely flown to the upside, and it's been a magnificent thing to watch, but I think it's also, it, it gives you a good representation of why we should be probably be putting ourselves more on the trading side of some of these rather than the ownership side of some of these names. And the reason I say that is you could absolutely get slammed on the ownership side. I, that, that side of it really is and can be very brutal. Not just a 3% move here and there, but off of those highs, 3%, 5%, 8%, oh, those moves to the downside are going to be very, very painful, I think, for people if that continues. So... The great thing about the derivatives world is, and we've had these record numbers, we talk about it each and every day, but, you know, 30 million basically contracts per day in 2020, this is an unbelievable number. But the reason for that is because of the fact that we have the opportunity. Volatility has come down to a, 
to, to some extent, at least in the bigger picture of the, the VIX and so forth. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think these names can be traded. Okay. But I don't know that you want to be owning a lot of these names when they're up there at these lofty levels where they don't even have earnings in so many different cases. It's amazing. Okay. So I love what you just did because you completely set us you up can. for where I wanted to go next. And that is a view... <laughs> Uh, that investors need to have when it comes to stocks like Snowflake and maybe some of the others. It's what Brad Gerstner told us yesterday. I want you to listen about uh, how investors should think about their risk tolerance at, in situations like this, and we'll talk about it on the other side. You really need to take a much longer-term perspective um, and be be willing to tolerate drawdowns in the stock. It may get ahead of itself. If rates go up, you could see all software multiples come in by 20, 30, 40 percent. And if you're not willing to tolerate that, then you shouldn't be investing in growth companies. So, Michael Farr, you you always talk about, you know, longer term horizons. It's the way I think you think and your clients think about in investing. Does does this mean that we need to even open our eyes and our minds wider and, and be willing to sit longer than maybe we thought we had to in the first place? Scott, I think it does. You know, there are so few inefficiencies that you can ex exploit anymore as an investor. The information is instantaneous and everybody has access. I think the remaining uh, probably market inefficiency that you can exploit as an investor is the inefficiency of time. Investors now want immediate gratification. They want to buy a stock today, have it go up tomorrow, have it up 10% a week from now, and if that doesn't happen, they're disappointed and that stock sinks, stinks. It's not my approach. I don't know how to invest or trade or do those things. Thank God for John and Pete Nigerian because I, I couldn't get through without their advice on this. But longer term, I need a company that's going to make money. I need a, to own a company that doesn't have too much debt. I saw the froth yesterday in Snowflake. I was reminded of some of those stocks in 1999 that were here one day, gone the other, uh, where they didn't have any earnings and they, and they couldn't keep it up. One of those companies, though, back in the late 90s was Amazon. And I looked at it and scratched my head and said, they don't have earnings, they don't have prospects of earnings, the stock just went up 30% a day, that makes no sense, I'm not going to own it. And it's not my kind of company. I am going to stick with those companies that do have earnings, that do have balance sheets, and do have products. Snowflake in this uh, cloud space is, is in the hot sector. But there's still no there there. So you might make a ton of money. It's speculative. And it's not for Fred and Ethel, for those people you know, to whom I'm responsible for the next 20 years that they can live and survive on their savings and that they can grow their wealth. I can't go there. I might go there in a while when they actually have earnings, but not for now. I, mean, I think you have to be cautious and look for the long term. Josh, it's a, it's a, it's a good conversation in, in market psychology, I, I think, as well, when you could say, well, maybe the greatest market story of the year, and that's Snowflake, um, can also be the most worrisome at the, at the same time. Do, do you think the NASDAQ is especially vulnerable today and do you think that we'll look back at a snowflake and and say well you know it's, it's always hard to call the moment as you said but we'll look back and say well that was certainly uh if not it close to it and i'll tell you what i think maybe one of the other things may be but let's address this first 
Well, I, I called it a spectacle, and I agree with that. And I think what Kramer said this morning is absolutely right, which is that Wall Street looks at something, the reception that a, a stock like Snowflake gets, and they say, guys, let's go. And whatever they have to bring public, they're going to throw it at us now. And that supply ultimately will drag down multiples just by virtue of the fact that at a certain point, um, they'll put enough IPO and secondary supply out there to sop up a lot of the liquidity that's currently chasing this stuff. So I 100% agree. And you, you throw in the fact that the Berkshire imprimatur is attached to this. And most IPOs that come out these days are small floats, which means wild trading. So I, I agree with all that. But I just want to point out Snowflake could be profitable tomorrow if they decided that, that was important. It's not important. They're in the nascent stages of what could be a, a TAM of $100 billion a year in annual spending. Why would they be – why on earth would a business person who owns that business um, say, yeah, the most important thing now is 20 percent profit margins? It's not. It's a land grab. It's market share. And they're, they're positioning themselves to win. And as we've seen with Amazon and as we've seen with many other companies that are now $100 billion-plus companies, there is a phase where you spend money to get big, and then there's a phase where the spending slows down, you flip the switch, and the cash flow explodes. And so if you're an investor in Snowflake, you're not like, oh, uh, I, I hope the company could generate you know, mid-single-digit earnings this year. Nobody cares about that that's buying the stock. Now, will they be right? I don't think – I'm not in it. I think it's 100 times sales is a little too rich for my blood. I don't like that we're throwing in companies like CrowdStrike with what we saw happen yesterday. Just because they happen to be four-letter four tickers trade on the NASDAQ um, and, and be talked about uh, look, by, by traders I, I don't, doesn't maybe mean you know, that they're all the same thing. Maybe you know the answer to this, this question because I, I, I honestly just don't. So I'm going to ask you, and if you don't, it's fine too because I'm just throwing that. Uh, do you know what CrowdStrike I'll trades at in terms of what the multiple is times sales? What, what time sales the stock Yeah, they're like at? negative $3 or something, right? No, I, I don't on know. On earnings or on sales? It's, it's over 20 times sales. What's the sales. price to sales? But here's what you have to understand. I, I couldn't tell you offhand exactly where the stock is trading But the point now. is there are a lot of um, stocks, I right? Hear, if, if a stock is trading at like 30 times sales, you're like, mm, you know, 50 times sales. You know, well, as Kramer said, growth? get me out of here. And 100 times sales, you're like... Uh, oh, I'm going to like, not all, I'm going to put my sprinting shoes on and I'm going to really get out of here. <laughs> well, it, look, what's, what's the sales growth and what are the prospects for profitability? Um, and do you, to, to, uh, to Brad's point, do you have a time horizon in which this company could ever conceivably grow into those multiples? And some people don't. And they're kidding themselves and they're paying any price. Um, in the case of CrowdStrike, this company is going literally going to be the sales force of cybersecurity. They're taking share from everyone, absolutely crushing it. They have 7,200 uh, corporate customers. They have 49 of the Fortune 100. This is not 1999 where companies with – 1999 was companies – forget about earnings – companies with no revenue, literally no plans to actually sell anything to anyone. That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about now ah. are companies that have, been, that have been shepherded through the entirety of Series A, B, C, through that process with the understanding amongst their investors that there will be a time there. to reap the harvest of profits. Now is the time to grow. If you're not into that, don't buy it. There were still real companies, though, Josh, that got 
chopped at the knees in, in 99 and have, have they ever made it back? Cisco, Qualcomm, right? You can name some others. It's not just the garbage that got thrown in the dumpster. Yes, the in, answer is they have made it. The answer is they have made I mean, it back, but it took. Can it, I say something? They have here? made yeah. it back. It took forever. Jenny, go ahead. So, so I was in the heart of this in '99, right? I was at Goldman Sachs first. I was on the trading desk. Then I was an internal strategy group that sat on top of the Chinese wall and was supposed to cross market the IPO pipeline with the um, with the with the whatever investment management division. And I saw that deal pipeline dry up. But Josh says two really interesting things here that are really important. Which is one, it's all about growing market share right now, and also that people are willing to pay any price. That is not different than 99. And what we need to remember here is that all these companies that have negative earnings, they're all trying to grow market share. And, that, and they are, right? But they're not all gonna be existing because many of them are going to ultimately compete versus each other. Things like Microsoft are gonna start to try and get into the DocuSign space. Who knows who else? So while we're looking at this big landscape, there are echoes that are quite strong to 99. And where that's going to come down is that many of these companies, while they're booming on their growth right now in terms of clients, they're just not going to exist because it's not only about market share. And that's going to fade when the dollars ultimately don't follow and there's a ton of competition. So just like 99, you could, have looked, at, you could have looked at Amazon and Apple, but you could have looked at but those Scott, and been like, oh, well, I should have gotten in. But you know what? There were like 200 of them then and five or 10 of them still survive and thrive now. So remember that as we're looking at all these companies and thinking, oh, I missed it or I screwed up. No, of the 200 companies that we're seeing now to, booming today, there aren't going to be there aren't going to be 200 that thrive in 10 years from now. Uh, Michael Farr was Scott. <laughs> Scott, you, you, yeah, you said you said something important there too, Scott, which was a lot of those some of those companies from '99, like Qualcomm, got cut off at the knees. There was such a huge run-up in the late 90s of companies like Qualcomm. The return mm -hmm. in 1999 coming into the beginning of 2000 on Qualcomm was just stratospheric. I mean, it was ridiculous. The point there that I think is important that you made is some of these companies that run like hell and get caught up in frothy speculation are brought back down to earth at some point. So as an investor, you know, is Josh's point right? Yeah, they shouldn't be trying to have earnings on the bottom line right now. This is the land grab. This is when they grow, and this is how they do it. But the stock price can hit such a high point that as reality starts to take hold or you go through some, you know, market pullback, this is the company that can fall back 50%, and you're going to have that added volatility. They can be taken out at the knees, too. It's a good warning. So, you know, there, it's mm -hmm. not, there are other signs, and, and one of them um, bled into our program um, today, and that is yet another SPAC. And I, you know, I, I'm not calling anything in terms of whether it, it is a sign or, or it isn't a sign, but you do certain, certainly take note when, you know, you have a SPAC-a-palooza deal going on, and we, we have a wall that shows you the, the, you know, the famous names that are now in it. You add Reed Hoffman and, and Mark Pincus in terms of, famous in the technology world of two other people now who have a SPAC, whether, whether we look back and say, well, that was a sign of, of, of something. And then, Pete, you've got a couple of interesting notes out today. Credit Suisse says reduce weightings in tech. We've been overweight tech for many years, mm -hmm. and software, they're talking software specifically because it's topical uh, via <clears throat> Snowflake, been our largest overweight for the last decade, has software. Now they're lowering their weighting yeah. of software from strong overweight to overweight. Of course, they still like it, but maybe not as much just given what we're, we're talking about. Jonathan Krinsky, okay, technician closely followed by a lot of people on Wall Street and on this show.
uh, often. Uh, we continue to think risk is lower in NASDAQ mega cap tech growth. Um, what do you think? What do you think relative to all of it, right? NASDAQ, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I think the reality is this, Scott. I think that everybody has to understand what their, what their time frame is and what their risk tolerance is. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a sort of a hybrid model because I have names that I've owned for over 15 or 20 years, and I have other names that I trade on a daily or almost even an hourly basis. So you have to know who you are and what you do best. And I think that when we talk about some of this stuff, and, and Josh was talking about the crowd strikes and all the rest of these, the reality is, yes, they've got all these different triggers that they can pull, and eventually they'll be able to be, be able to make money in some way, shape, or form. But the reality is right now that a lot of these companies just continue to invest in the future. And the problem is that while they're doing that, as Brad points out, you've got to have the, the tolerance, if you're going to own stocks like that, you're going to have to have the tolerance that's willing to say, I could lose 40% or up to 50% of my investment at any moment in time because of the fact of the risk and the volatility that's involved in some of these names. So I think from my perspective, you have to look at it and say, hey, look, this is my, my bundle, my hybrid model where I'm trading the option side of things, and this is the side with the stock, and with the stock okay. side, it's almost a 50-50 split right now for me, Scott, and, and I, you will not find, outside of maybe Lulu, you will not find when you look through my list of stocks that I actually own, very, very high PEs of any of these names. These are names that I think are, they've got great management, they've got great fundamentals, they're going to probably grow much slower, but I'm going to sell options against these every time I get the op opportunity to do so, and I'm going to trade options in all of these high flyers instead. So I, I, I brought up the judge. You judge. You could have built a judge. You could have built a portfolio over, over the last any at any time over the last ten years where the predilection was low PEs, and I guarantee you, you would have substantially, substantially underperformed the market. That's one. Number two, Not you could have built a portfolio of quote unquote appropriately valued energy stocks um, and, and buy the names even with dividends and reasonable P.E. ratios and be looking at anywhere from 50 to 70 percent losses on those, quote unquote, inexpensive or mm -hmm. fairly priced value stocks. The, these are not these are not the metrics that prospectively determine the outcome for stock prices. I know I know in a perfect world they would. And everyone wants to buy something at a 10 P.E and have the company grow earnings by 10% a year and have the stock double ultimately. And it would be great if that's what was happening. That's literally not what's happening. And some of the cheapest, quote unquote, cheapest areas of the market over the last few years have been areas where literally they were laden with value traps, blowing people up left and right. Whether we're talking about energy or chemicals and or retail or mining, we can go on and on. Right. So I don't think it's as black and white as, oh, this is a good valuation. That's not what investors are valuing right now. Yeah. No, I, I it, hear you. Hold not, on, Jenny. Uh, Jenny, Josh. hang on. Jen, Jen, do me a favor. Okay. Jenny, sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll let you get in on the conversation in a second. I do want to bring in our next guest, though, as I tell you about Credit Suisse and they're pulling down their rating, albeit slightly, on, on tech and software. Uh, and Krinsky talking about the risk being lower for NASDAQ. Our next guest is adding to his tech holdings. Jethro Townsend, you know him. He's been on our show multiple times. Jethro, it's good to see you. Uh, he, he's the founder and CIO of Addend Capital Management. And one of the stocks you're adding to uh, plays into the conversation. It's CrowdStrike, which, oh, by the way, and thanks to one of our viewers for sending this in, is at 45 price to sales is at 45. So I, I hope you've heard our conversation to this point. Jethro, uh, it is one of the stocks that you're adding to. Why don't you tell us why and how you view uh, uh, everything right now in tech through the prism in which you're, you're viewing it? 
Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, it's great to be back. Um, technology, I mean, it certainly it's had a pretty incredible run, and we've seen multiple expansion uh, across the space. I mean, it's instructive to kind of look underneath the hood to kind of see what these drivers are. Uh, and clearly, there, there is some reason for that. I mean, if you look at uh, tech, there's been positive earnings revisions, particularly in, mega, in the mega cap growth names. Uh, this has been exacerbated by central bank liquidity that's pushed investment dollars, obviously, towards higher risk a assets, right? Um, and so we've got this chasm between Wall Street and Main Street, obviously, that's, that's existed uh, for some time, just given, you know, rates near zero uh, and the Fed stepping in and making asset purchases. Um, we also look at kind of like what's happening, you know, broadly in the system, like we don't see stress in the system, uh, just given where credit spreads are, CDS uh, default credit swap spreads are, are still tight. So we don't see like macro risk. Uh, but just getting back into tech in particular, uh, you know, to some of the points, I mean, we've had a, a you know, a huge spike up right from the bottom. Um, tech now, if you look at the S&P 500 uh, information technology space, it's trading at about 28 times forward earnings versus what we see as a long-term average of about 20 times earnings. So that's a, a negative 28% delta. Uh, I'm not being a, har a harbinger of doom as far as the space is concerned, but to the extent that one sort of you know, believes in reversion to the mean, it kind of puts things into, into perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we're going to realize that magnitude of downside in the very near term, just given some of the uh, aforementioned re reasons that I mentioned. Uh, unless, obviously, unless there's some exogenous event. Um, but in terms of like kind of where we are and where, and where we've been positioning, uh, we've been buying, but we've been, we've been selectively buying. Uh, we've actually been taking a more balanced approach within tech, just given some of the things that I mentioned, uh, with some high growth exposure, as well as some valuation supported names. Uh, we've actually reduced our overall net exposure. Uh, although, we, again, as you mentioned, and you know, thanks to Josh for making the point, uh, we've been constructive on, on a crowd strike, but buying the dips. Um, we've also been, you know, keen on a couple of value names that, that and we can talk about later, such um, as uh, well, Broadcom, Dell, Dell Technologies. For, forgive me for for interrupting you, uh, Jethro, but it's Broadcom, Dell Technologies are two other names that you're, you're adding to. Yeah, we like we like Broadcom. I mean, Broadcom. It's a well-managed company by Hot Tan. Um, it's a diversified semiconductor company that's been shedding some of their non-strategic businesses. Uh, they've been focusing on areas where they're number one or number two, uh, particularly cloud, data center, networking. 5G wireless, where Apple is their largest customer, uh, storage and mission critical software. Uh, they've also made a, a purchase in Symantec on the cybersecurity side, and we can talk about CrowdStrike later. Um, they've been executing pretty well despite a very tough con conditions, right? I mean, they've had a beat and raise quarter, mm -hmm. uh, driven by reacceleration in their semiconductors business, uh, growth in networking from telecom and, and, and the cloud space. Uh, and again, as we've talked about, the, you know, the wireless side is seeing some inflection point, just given. Um, the iPhone 5G production ramp that's about to happen, and there's also increasing, you know, content of chip, so, uh, chip content. Let, as let's well. do this. Let's do this. Um, I, I think you were just supposed to join us for a few minutes to, to, to talk about the, the current thing we're doing. Why don't you stick around yeah. with us till the end of the show? Um, I want to take a quick break. We'll come back, Jenny. I'm going to let you make the point you wanted to. Jethro, we'll hear from more uh, more from you. We'll hear from the gang as well when we come back about a mystery chart as well. The stock is up 35 percent in six months and it just got a bullish call we're going to debate that with the investment committee coming up next and a reminder you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the cnbc app we're back after this
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. New York State is filing civil insurance fraud charges against Johnson & Johnson, accusing it of downplaying the risks of addiction in opioid marketing materials targeting, el- targeting I should say, elderly patients. It is the latest in a series of actions against several pharmaceutical companies. J&J tells us that its marketing was, quote, appropriate and responsible, end quote. The leader of the world's largest asset manager says it may never have all of its employees back in the office. BlackRock's CEO, Larry Fink, says perhaps 60 to 70 percent will eventually return, possibly with a rotation system. You can go to CNBC.com to see why he thinks that would be good for the firm. And they're back in the office at the U.K. film set of The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson. Warner Brothers says filming has resumed after a two-week pause due to a positive coronavirus test reportedly for Pattinson himself. And there's controversy for Walt Disney's new Mulan movie in the U.S. after its star publicly supported Hong Kong police. But there are no signs of opposition today as the film quietly opened in that city. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right. I appreciate that. Sue Herrera, thank you very much. NASDAQ, by the way, is near the lows of the day as we're having this conversation. Josh, you know, Jethro said something interesting and we hadn't gotten to it yet, but The Fed yesterday basically said they're not raising rates from here to eternity. So in a world of low growth, in a world of low rates for the longest period of time than anybody can imagine, right, this is what you get, isn't it? This is what you get. You get snowflakes. You get a lot of the froth because where else are you going to pay up to get growth in this environment? Is that right or wrong? No, it's exactly right. And also the ability of a company to fund itself and grow into a massive behemoth and take on an entire industry worth of incumbents is a direct um, is a direct uh, response to the fact that money has become very cheap. And the Fed just told you it's it's another few seasons of that. Um, And so, look, I've sat on the show debating things like Intel versus NVIDIA for the last five years. Um, if in the summer, five, literally five years ago today, you could have bought NVIDIA at a 30 uh, times earnings multiple or Intel at a 15. So a child with a calculator would have said Intel is a better buy because it's half the, half the valuation. Um, Intel is up 45% over the next five years. NVIDIA is up 2,000% over the next five years. Why? Because the starting level of a P.E. ratio is not what matters in the current environment that we're in. So to your point... If Jerome Powell, like a, like a groundhog, just came out of his, his hole and said three more years of relentless funding of growth business models, well, do you want to be in a disrupted company? Um, and, and I can give you millions of examples of that. September of 2008, Blockbuster Video was trading four times earnings. 
Netflix was trading 13 times earnings. Which was the better buy? Blockbuster was a third the valuation of Netflix. Like, is that really how we think money gets made in the market? I don't think so. So let's not take facile valuation metrics and just unilaterally say the most expensive stocks will have the worst returns and the cheapest stocks will do the best. We know that's not how it works. It works sometimes. Um, but in tech, almost never. It's also one of the reasons why well, Tom Lee today, Pete, has, you know, don't fight yeah. the Fed as his first reason mm -hmm. as to why he thinks stocks can still go up and then a lot in all caps. That's that's part of the, the, the view. OK, the, the positive view for the, for the market. The other one that you've been talking about and putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak, is because of the broadening participation that we've seen. Materials, industrials, right. energy, other areas beyond tech that have actually had a nice little run here. You're adding more to materials. Tell us. Yeah, and the reality is, Scott, when, when you're talking about that, I, I think that it's very important to say that it's not necessarily people selling out of tech, but we, we always talk about how much money's been sitting on the sidelines. So it could be some of that money from the sidelines, given the fact that Jerome Powell's given, up, given the green light that, hey, look, the place to make money is obviously going to be in the stock market. So I think that's part of, the, part of what we're seeing going on here, too. I, I can tell you this. The material space has absolutely gotten bigger and faster and i'm seeing more and more activity in there whether it's a freeport mac moran as we watch copper prices go higher or we see china with demand for iron ore and steel so that's moving that market as well i have definitely put myself in a position now where i've got about six or eight different areas of that entire material space freeport. building upon what we're seeing for yep yep well, i mean Freeport's you're all over it names. right you're Absolutely. all over it you're, you're adding more and more freeport yep. barrick uh, yep. the metals and mining etf SLV, yep. Vale, mm -hmm. U.S. Steel, yep, across the board. Uh, and we continue to see very, very large option paper in a lot of these various names, Scott. So do I think that they're done running to the upside? I don't. I still think there's plenty of upside for a lot of these different areas of the marketplace, materials being one of them. The other one still that's been on fire for the most part that doesn't get talked enough about is biotech, which continues to have good days even when the markets oftentimes had bad days now it doesn't mean it hasn't pulled back it has but i'm still looking at i think there are certain names out there right now that still have plenty of upside in areas that maybe had lagged but as you said we are broadening out where the markets which, are right now and it's been broadening out which jenny is yep. you know your 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 view here um matches that as well this sort of tale of two cities if you will, uh, these tale of two markets that we, we, we need to talk more about. Right, right. And I think if we want to bring Josh's NVIDIA versus Intel back in, you could do that really well too. So you've got like value in terms of just the multiple, and then you've got value in terms of the philosophy, saying some things are trading at a lower price than where they deserve to be trading it, therefore it's a value. You've got growth, right, which is growth in the earnings, and then you've got growth in terms of the capital appreciation of their share price, and that's that's where the market's gotten all messed up and funky. So what we've actually seen in terms of broadening, and this is really interesting, I just ran this number this morning, but I looked at the whole S&P 500, and the companies that were up over 30% year-to-date up until the market peaked um, a week and change ago on, on September 2nd, those guys are actually down 5 and change percent, 5.7% now. The companies that were down 30% or more are actually up 2.5%. So we're seeing, we're seeing that gap between growth, value, haves, have-nots, where we're seeing that narrow, which means that the expansion of stocks is broadening. But just getting back to the 
Intel and NVIDIA. Josh, I'll bet you whatever fat, expensive hamburger you want, I'll bet if we look at one year from today, <laughs> I'll bet you Intel's share price, and I'll, I'll happily pay if I lose, but I know I'll win. Um, so I'll bet you <laughs> Intel's share price has appreciated more than NVIDIA's share price. And the reason being, it's not just because Intel's at eight times and NVIDIA's at 80 times, it's because I could look at Intel and say, this thing is going to mint cash. Doesn't matter if the earnings grow or not, but I think the share price will grow a lot. And I think I'm willing to pay 12 times earnings for that. So if I can get it at eight, I'll bet other people will pay 12 too. And NVIDIA, people are gonna look at it and say, well, there's been a lot of earnings growth. That's slowing and I don't know what I've got and it's worth more. I'm not gonna get the cash flow to pay me back for that. So I think those are the kinds of conversations that are being had out there. And that's what's starting to broaden out the performance in the market, narrow the performance gap. Do we have, Josh, do we have a burger bet? Do we have a Sorry. burger bet or what? I'll make, the, I'll make the bet, but I'll tell you right now, over a one-year period, she absolutely could be right. Um, but I would just point out, oh, totally. Intel's, um, not, not, not only did Intel so substantially underperform that on a price chart, you can't even see the two stocks together, but we'll put that aside because that's the past. Um, but Intel's multiple also shrunk by 36% in that five-year period. This is a stock that went from 15 times earnings to nine times earnings. Um, so not only yeah, but Josh, did investors have to sit period. in that stock with all of the execution uh, fumbles. But um, everything. So if they look, if go. Here's the thing. I'm, everything I'm depends now. on the go. time period. What? So I, the last time I, the last time I owned Intel in the dividend portfolio was I think I bought it in February of 2009, and I paid 14 and a half dollars for it, and it had a five percent dividend yield. I then sold it around 43 about five years later. I made a ton of money in that five-year period. Fine if the ensuing five-year period was wrong, but the point is, is from this point forward, there could be a lot of growth, not in earnings on this, but in share price. Growth from earnings will be modest, right? But it's not gone. And I think that's where, that's where the reconciliation of what we've seen in the craziness of the market is going to start to show up in these little conversations. NVIDIA versus Intel, okay. Walmart's new I would never say that. I would never say versus that, Amazon. I would never say that that's not, po I would never say that that's not possible and I actually want to lose so I could take you out for a burger. So we're, we're Jenny, we're good. Right. Well, the thing is, it's win-win, either way. That's true. Um, Jethro, I know you've got to split, but leave us with a last thought, if, if you could. Um, your, your sort of view on this broadening out is really the conversation we're having um, here to underscore uh, that idea of, of whether we truly are broadening out, whether it's lasting, and what you think it means. Yeah, I mean, just, just getting you know, topical. I mean, what's happening intermittently, you get these growth to value rotations, and it, and it can be a powerful trade, right? Um, and, you know, although, you know, in spite of that, the multi-year trend has not been broken in any sustainable way, right? So if you look at the trend, you know, over the last nine or 10 years, right, it's just been a downtrend, you know, growth versus value, where growth is like really crushed value. So, you know, we're watching this closely. We're looking for, you know, a sustainable breakout, right? We haven't seen it in a number of years. Um, they might be somewhat related to the steep steepening of the yield curve, and there's something that we're going to look at. But until that, you know, happens, uh, you know, the trend is your friend, you know, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it certainly has been. Jethro, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Coming Thanks. up, we still have a lot more to do. Pete has his unusual activity for us today. I want to show you the S&P sectors right now as well. You got a couple materials, materials and industrials. A nice little go of it. Yes, there are only fractional gains here, but just underscores that these two sectors have done well lately. There's technology in the middle of the pack to the downside. We're back after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. 
So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. Unusual activity time right there. AMD. Pete, what do you see? Well, it's pretty interesting, Scott, because this stock had this great run in August where it went from 77 to 90, and then it pulled all the way back towards that 77, actually even below that number. But today we're seeing some really aggressive buying, and when I say aggressive, what I mean is these expire tomorrow. They bought the September 76 calls, and they bought about 7,400 of those calls for about 75 cents. So making a bet that maybe we're going to get a little bit of a bounce. Obviously, today we're seeing a little bit more on the drag side of it as we get into the deeper part of the afternoon, but... That's something that people were betting on. I bought these calls, so I'm going to take a shot, see what happens for this stock in a very, very short period of time. These expire tomorrow. I want people to fully understand that. Secondly, I got Bausch. Now, Bausch is pretty interesting. It's hit many, many times. Yesterday, stock was trading about 16 and a half, and they had 8,000 buyer, buyer of 8,000 of the October 18 calls. Today, the stock's actually a little bit higher now, trading around 17 when, it, when this hit. But they were buying the 17 and a half calls that expire tomorrow also. Those are very inexpensive. They're about 20 cents. And it looks like they have a good shot to maybe make a move to the upside. I'm in both of these names. I'm in a little bit longer in the Bausch because I bought yesterday's calls. But very, very aggressive buying in that name over the last period of time. Pete, I also notice uh, it's not you know, relative to this yeah. segment per se, but you've been adding to calls and applied sure. materials too. Yeah, that was one that I, I just yesterday. So I'm, I'm seeing some opportunities. You know, we've had a pretty decent pullback in some of the semis. I don't know that it's enough and whether or not these are going to be able to, to, to perform or not. But certainly I like what we're seeing. We've seen buyers and buyers and buyers and buyers recently on some of these pullbacks. So consistency has been right in the long run. So I, I did buy some of those applied material calls yesterday. Okay. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Coming up, we're ready to answer your questions. Our investment committee is to reach out. Go to CNBC.com slash halftime. You can tweet us as well. Please use the hashtag AskHalftime. We're back right after this. All right, let's do some of your questions now. Michael Farr, I'm coming to you first, okay? Uh, from John in New York. I okay. Bought, I bought Danaher, says John, early in the COVID crisis and have had a nice gain. Help me with my worst skill set as an investor. When to sell? It's a great question because I think a lot of people can identify it. Maybe the hardest thing to to do. Uh, what's your opinion, uh, John? Congratulations! You bought a stock that's done very well. Uh, you can always consider trimming, but I own Danaher. I'm going to continue to hold my Danaher. They are a consolidator in the life sciences space. They've created a ton of value through a lot of acquisitions over the last 25 years. Well-managed company, but it's not cheap at 30 times, uh, 32 times next year's estimates. Uh, they're a great acquirer, so I, I like the company long-term, but I could pair it. It's back at some point in the future. 
a good company, but not cheap. Okay. Josh, to you from Ken in Detroit. What about Uber? What should I do with it? Yeah, here's another one of these money losers. So if, uh, if, if it's bothering you now, you're really going to hate it when it breaks resistance at 40 and goes straight to 50. Um, this is the ultimate reopening play from my perspective. Um, Uber's business needs that reopening and will respond incredibly on a fundamental basis when, in fact, we get closer. So um, I'm in it. I'm sticking with it. I not, think it's going to do well. Not, not, not to, you know, get hung up on semantics, but when you say reopening, is that same thing as vaccine, or are we talking two different things? I, I hear you. I know what you're saying. I no, just want to make sure they need we're the, clear. They need the Uber, Uber needs the real thing. They need, like, people to get on planes to go on a business trip. Yep. Like, they really need the reopening. But okay. when it happens, this company is still going to be a utility, um, and I, I think it's going to work. Okay, Pete, to you from uh, Maureen, California. Uh, IBM has languished. Uh, is it ready to move now? You know, I think at some point it will. I don't know that it's ready to rocket anywhere in the near, near term, but I think when you consider the Red Hat acquisition and how they absolutely can move that along and, and continue to make the growth there, but with the 5% dividend yield and you sell calls against this position, this is a stock that I think is well worth owning. All right, good stuff. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Talk gold. Yep. It's edging lower today after the Fed promises low rates forever. Metals up nearly 30% this year. Where do prices go from here? Jeff Kilberg is going to tell us next in our future segment. We're back. Time for the futures outlook now. Gold's lower, as I said, on the back of the Fed. Jeff Kilberg of KKM Financial has the trade for us. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Judge, how we doing? Pretty interesting reaction here. We're seeing a counterintuitive trade, actually. They're selling gold at the same time. You're seeing the equity markets have a bit of a temper tantrum as they didn't get enough from the Fed. But I want to be a buyer in the precious metals, specifically in the December gold futures contract. I want to be a buyer at 1935, looking for a move up to 1975, but I'm gonna be mindful, Scott. We always use stops. I'm gonna be stopped out of this trade at 1915, but I'm risking $2,000 to make $4,000, as I believe with the uncertainty on the horizon, the election coming up, we will still see buyers of gold. Gold is moving higher. All right, risk two to make four, sounds good. Jeff, thank you, we'll talk to you soon. We'll take a quick break, we'll come back with final trades. All right, we're back, Pete. Uh, before we go, I do wanna get another one of your call buys today. It's Las Vegas Sands. Sure. Yeah, that one's pretty interesting, Scott, just because of the fact that it's definitely pulled back pretty dramatically recently. And because of that, I think when we saw some call buying, it just was, it intrigued me. And so I jumped on these. They went all the way out to November. We've been talking everything short-term, short-term, short-term. This is November. Gives you a little bit more time. They were buying the 50 calls, so I bought those calls as well. All righty. Good stuff from you. Let's do final trades. Jenny, you're up first. Sure. Chevron. The share price isn't currently reflecting the stability in oil prices, and it has a 6.6% sustainable dividend yield. Okay. Michael Farr, good to see you, man. What do you got for us? Good to see you. Thank you. Valmont, I continue to like it. It's going to benefit from infrastructure, and it's not expensive at 15 times earnings. Okay. Josh Brown. Bullish on Uber and Jenny Harrington. <laughs> you better get that burger money ready. That's all I'm saying. And burgers. <laughs> all right, Pete. I'm going from the one with the gold on the Either bun. way. Either way, he's a winner, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to give you a volley. I, I actually think this material space is ready to explode to the upside. That's right. He's eating a burger no matter what. It's just a matter of whether he's buying it. All right, gang. It's good to see everybody. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for watching. That does it for us. The exchange begins Thanks. right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.